Father, I thank you that you handle distractions very, very well. There's no such thing as a distraction to you because nothing, nothing catches you by surprise. It's all uh, known ahead of time. And uh, it's what's frustrating to us as we go into the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk um, and look at the struggle the prophet was having, a righteous man who wanted to do what, what was right and wanted his country to do what was right. And it wasn't happening. So help me to explain parts of this, but help us more so to understand the application we can put into our lives as we cry out to you about things that are happening today, especially in the church. And um, you seem to be silent. May we trust you that you are at work and you will accomplish your will, even though you may use some methods that we would not be too excited about if we knew ahead of time. So help us to become more and more like Jesus. Help us to prepare as his bride for his return, for a wedding that will take place, that will outdo anything that's ever been done in creation. And may you guide us to get into your word and to take it seriously. And our love for you may grow deeper and deeper. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. We're entering into a little book. I forgot I haven't looked at it recently. I think it's only like seven or eight messages. Um, We'll take a couple weeks to do some uh, messages on Calvinism, biblically look at Calvinism, and then we will uh, be looking at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 basically through the summer. So I encourage you to read ahead of that. If you like a schedule of my sermons, what's going to be when, come see me. I'll give you a copy of that and let you know. I think one was posted somewhere, but I'm not sure if I saw the right place. As you look into this little book, there's some interesting things that stand out. Um, But I want to stress to you that this message was not for the world. The answer to the problem, Habakkuk or Habakkuk, I'm going to try to say Habakkuk. As I went looking it up, the accent seems to be on the middle, but there is debate today as to where to put it, so you're going to find me flip-flopping back and forth. You'll have to ask his mother. She knew exactly how to say it. Oh, yeah, she's not here either. But um, as you look at this message, you realize that many people think, well, if we could just fix America, uh, the moral majority and all of the right voting and all of that, that it would fix things. And that isn't what is going to fix things, and that isn't what the book of Habakkuk is about. It's about fixing the church. And so as you again are reminded, banner was put back up that righteousness exalts a nation, and righteousness does not come from unbelievers. And yet we're looking for a solution from the world. Um, it kind of fits in with this little story I heard this week. I'd like for you to imagine, if you will, an atheist stuck at a green light behind a car with a bumper sticker that said, Honk if you love Jesus. Did you get that? Were, were you here with that, Jim? You got that? Okay, good. Do I need to say it again? Repeats? All right. That, that's kind of what we're looking for. The, the world is struggling. They hate God. They want nothing to do with God. They're rejecting him. There's nothing new about that. That's not where the problem's at. The problem's in the church. The problem is in a lackadaisical, indifferent, kind of mediocre uh, level of commitment to God. You want to fix America? Fix the church. You, you want the nation to be exalted? then bring righteousness back into the church. And when you come on Sunday and you're all cleaned up and maybe you even took a shower and we smile and we answer all the questions the right way, or if we have a really bad day or we had a bad week and we were not walking with God, and so we choose on Sunday not to show up. It's convicting. And I don't want to be around all those smiley Christians. But the problem is us. This, that's what's going on with the book of Habakkuk. This is a struggle, the prophet who was a righteous man. You can see it if you read through. How many read verses 1 to 4? Okay, how many read the whole book? More than once? It's short. In different translations? Okay, you, you want to take time to really look at what is it saying, what's it bringing out, why is it there? Why did God have this prophet write this, as we have it, three, three little chapters? 
to the nation of Judah about 609 to 605 B.C., roughly, before the Babylonians came in and brought judgment to Judah. But after the Assyrians had been wiped out um, with a a special battle that they had gone through. And so here's a struggle going on. Let me read it for you out of the um, New Living Translation. It says this. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received from the Lord in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see this sin in Judah and misery all around me? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and useless, and there is no justice given in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, and justice is perverted with bribes and trickery. Kind of a little different flavor. If you spend time studying it, you can kind of get the idea of what's going on there. But there, there is a battle happening within the nation of Judah. What has happened to Israel at this point in time? Over 100 years earlier, they were carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. Who is going to take Judah into captivity? The Babylonians, as they rise up, they'd been around for a long time, but had been suppressed by the Assyrian Empire. And now they're going to take over. And God is going to use them. We're going to see that even more so in the coming weeks. He's going to use them as his spanking stick. He's going to get Judah's attention. And so right off, Habakkuk is crying out to God, fix The church is how he would be saying it. Fix the nation of Israel. Fix your own people with their temple system and with all that we're supposed to be doing with the law and the justice that's to be meted out. There's no ignorance here. There's defiance. They don't really want to do things your way. So he's struggling. And his question there, after he tells you what's going on, is how long? How how long do you think he had prayed before he would say that little statement? How long, O Lord, must I call for help? At least an hour? He's a prophet of God. Maybe he's prayed for a whole week. Months? How long had God been warning them? Years, decades. Isaiah had written, Jeremiah had written, Jerusalem's going to get destroyed, the book of Lamentations is going to come about. You're going to see all these things. Nahum, Zephaniah wrote in about the same time. Israel wasn't ignorant of what was coming. Israel was not ignorant of her sin. She didn't care. How's the church doing today? I get a lot of mailings. And lately I've been getting mailings with people's names in them who have denied Christ. People who have been leaders in the church and are just throwing it all out. And then you look back on their life and you realize it wasn't a five-minute decision. It had been coming for a while. And the scriptures make it clear that you're going to see more and more and more of that in the days ahead. A lot of professions of faith. Very easy to go to church to put on an image. But if it's not real on the inside... It's very easy to be phony and to drag other people down with you. So the question we ask as we start into this little book is where are you at spiritually? What's your relationship with Jesus Christ like today? How often do you talk to him? Do you cry out to him every day because of the oppression and the violence that you see in the church? You know it's not perfect. Maybe because you're only in it for an hour, hour and a half a week, you have no idea what's going on in the church. You're not really involved. You're not going to a small group, Bible study, of which we probably have eight or ten. You're not even showing up for little things that they do off and on, work days, um, opportunities just to open your Bible on Sunday nights, interact. You're not there. In fact, if I were to hand out a piece of paper right now, and with all of the people in here, and ask you to give me their last name, because I'll give you their first name, because you probably wouldn't know half of them, Maybe one of their favorite hobbies. Maybe their favorite book in the Bible. Maybe a prayer request that they're wrestling with. 
I could go on. How well do we even know each other? You know how you get to know each other? You know why the foxhole is so useful? Because God creates so much turmoil on the outside, maybe in a war or whatever, and it forces these people together. They don't care if you snore anymore. As long as you keep an eye out for me. When I'm sleeping, you're awake. When you're sleeping, I'm awake. And you can trust me to take care of you. That, that's more what the church is like. It's a place where there's a genuine faith in Christ that is manifested in our relations with one another, which is just a simple way of saying we love each other. That's what this book is going to bring out. I have to bring it over into our day, but that's what he's wrestling with here. And he's asking this question, God, why don't you do something about all of the evil in, not the world, in Judah? Your, your chosen people. The ones that you had done so many things for, so many miracles that you had worked, and they keep forgetting and forgetting and turning away to the joys and pleasures of the world around them. J. Vernon McGee points out that Habakkuk opens in gloom and closes in glory. He begins with a question mark, which is what he's wrestling with here, but he ends with an exclamation point. Others have pointed out that this book is a song. It was sung, as you see at the last verse, the very end of the, of the book of Habakkuk. See the little comment he makes here? For the choir director on my stringed instrument. He had put it together so that you would sing it. Why would you sing the book of Habakkuk? It, it, it ends up well. The second half is good, at least the last chapter. Some neat things about God. But why would you sing this? It's to help you remember it. It's to help you memorize it. That's why when we sing songs on Sundays, the more songs we can sing that are straight out of Scripture, the better. Because that's what you're learning. That's what your children are learning. The tendency today is to go to more songs that bring out our feelings rather than the facts about who God is and what God wants us to do. This is the struggle that they were handling. One other person, um, a Hebrew scholar, says this language is classical throughout full of rare and select turns and words. This is a unique book. This is not a simple little message that he put together. It is independent. You won't find anybody else like him. It's very intelligent. It's at a level in, in the Hebrew writing that they could tell this guy knew what he was doing. It's an incredible book. One person said it is a finished beauty. So what you need to do is learn how to read Hebrew. Right? And then put it back to music and sing it, memorize it, learn it, and make sure that it's dominant in your life. This is a struggle that we are going through today. So look what he starts off with in verse 1. He says, the oracle which Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. And then he moves right into a personal quoting of himself. But this word for oracle, some of your translations use the word burden. Because the word can mean that. And there's a little bit of a struggle. Is it just an utterance, an oracle, a revelation from God? Or is it a burden? Is this a heavy judgment announcement? And so they kind of wrestle back and forth as far as what it's trying to carry. It kind of has both. But it's the one which Habakkuk, which his name means to embrace. Where, where, where would you get a name like that? My mom named me Embrace. Why would she do that? Maybe dad did it, but I'm leaning this one on mom. Maybe at his birth, he grabbed onto her. Maybe he gave some kind of gesture, even with the idea when she brought him up close to her and he clung on to her. Don't know. They want to make all kinds of things out of the name as far as how he was treating Israel, but I think his name had been around long before he was a prophet. And God had chosen him to be in this special role. He's a prophet. He's a spokesman for God. His speaker. Prophets were involved in foretelling, which is the, the truth or the facts. And they're involved in foretelling, which is the future. Whenever we think of prophets, we're always thinking about telling things about the future. And in reality, more of their ministry was simply declaring what God wanted said. So Habakkuk does both. 
And as he wrestles in here, he says it's what he saw. This, this idea behold, brings out the idea that he beheld in a vision. That's what they were called. A lot of the prophets were called seers. Because God reveals something to him, and that's all he says. You'd think he would have given a lot more background information. Why'd your mom call you embrace? How do you feel about this? Well, he gives that pretty quickly. How long have you been praying? How'd you become a prophet? What kind of prophet are you? Do you love the Lord with all your heart? And as you go through this letter, you're seeing it more and more and more. This was a very dedicated man. I'd almost want to say a type A. Maybe an A+. Plus. But he's frustrated. You never get frustrated, do you? Life is going perfect right now. But what matters the most isn't the worldly frustrate, frustrations. Those come and go. It's the spiritual frustrations. And Habakkuk is looking at his own people. Israel's already the, the ten tribes of the north, as I'm using the word Israel there. They've already been carried off, and they're long gone. 100 years plus, they've been gone. And little Judah is hanging on in the south. And they're struggling here, and yet what have they done with their God? They've compromised. He gives a long list of things here. You're almost to the point where you go, well, that sounds like that. They look like they're all synonyms, but they're not. He's trying to bring out some things very carefully here. But he is watching what is going on. The book of Habakkuk does not question God's love like Nahum does. If you've read Nahum recently, it's, it's the destruction of Nineveh. Remember the little book of Jonah? What happened with Jonah? He, he went into and more than a destruction of Assyria is what I meant to, but he went into Nineveh, and he proclaimed he hated them. He didn't want them to repent. He knew God would forgive them. He knew they were going to turn if he let him, gave them the chance. And sure enough, he goes in there, three days' journey preaching, and the, everybody, they all repent. And so God withheld his judgment on them. hundred years later, book of Nahum, Assyria cremated. Very bad and sad. Now you're going to have to read it this week. <laughs> Habakkuk's not like Nahum. He doesn't question God's love. But he's kind of questioning God's justice. That one doesn't come up very often in the church today. Why isn't God just? You know why it doesn't? Because where does he have to start? With me. See, it's why so many people today compromise I don't want to point out somebody's sin in the church because what's that going to give them the right to do? Point out my sin. In the Bible, that's biblical. You start, you know, he was without sin be the first one to cast a stone. You who are spiritual resource such a one. You, you've got to examine yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. But once I point out something in somebody else, all of a sudden now I am liable. I may get confronted. Well, if I need to be confronted, what should a person do to me? That was a long one. I didn't catch all that. Okay, go privately. It's how the Bible tells you to do it. But we should go do it. See, you, you wouldn't believe I've been in ministry a lot of years. How many people come to me and ask me to go straighten out somebody? Don't do that. You will not like my answer. Which is probably why more people don't come to me anymore. <laughs> see, if you notice that and you see your brother sin, you go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. End of story. Never gets out anywhere. Nobody else even knows it ever even happened. That is ideal. That should be happening all the time. That's kind of like running the vacuum cleaner at home. You shouldn't be walking in one day and be shocked that your wife or a, a person you've hired is actually running the vacuum cleaner. We don't, we don't do that. But that's what's happening in the church. We, we can see the dog hair. We, we can see the messes. But eh, if I clean it up today, guess what I have to do tomorrow? i got to clean it up again. If it's messy today and it's messy tomorrow, what's the difference? Anybody anti-vacuum? Okay, I got a couple hands. Provac? Oh, Robovac. Oh. You got to watch out for those things. 
Yeah, dogs eat them. They pick up things you don't want them to pick up, and they take them everywhere in the house. Anyway, as, as he's wrestling here, it, it's a necessity that we are constantly monitoring because we're doing it for the, our best interest. We're trying to help other people, right? That's the only reason you would go to somebody who's sinning. It's never to mock them. It's never to put them down. It's never to make yourself feel more superior to them. Look at me. I don't do that kind of stuff. What is wrong with you? Why are you doing that? He's going to get into a list here. He's going to explain what's going on. But the seer has been given this message from God, and he's being told both the factual information as well as the future information about what's going to happen, and he doesn't like what he's hearing. Initially, Judah is bad. We're going to see that. But practically, God, what are, you, what are you doing? As we look at next week, that he's going to actually use the Chaldeans. We'll deal with that as we come across those verses. But look what he says here in verse 2. With this struggle. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and thou wilt not hear? The New American Standard still uses a King James language whenever it quotes um, things in the Old Testament. He says, I cry out to thee, Violence! yet thou dost not save. Now, if you were a prophet, is that how you would talk to God? What's this come across like? Try this on your dad. Maybe you get away with it if he's 85 and he can't run fast anymore. But when he was young, if I would approach my dad and challenged him and questioned what he was doing... Not, not a good idea. This is a little bitty prophet in Judah who's questioning the Almighty God who controls the universe. And he's saying, how long? Hello? We're waiting down here. I've been praying for weeks. I've been praying for months. You said, God, that you don't like this kind of stuff. Hello? When are you going to fix it? Call for help, crying out to you for justice. I'm interceding, pleading in prayer. And he says, thou wilt not hear. You're not willing to help. You act like you do not exist. I do my job as prophet. Why don't you do your job, God? That sound a little stronger? How's God handling this? You remember Job? Job 13, 15? He says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. We love to quote that, but that's only half the verse. You know what the other half says? Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. He says, I trust him, although he slay me, I will hope in him. I've, I've got that down, but just wait till I get God in court. And that's what a lot of the book of Job is about. He's trying to prove something until you get to chapter 38, and God finally testifies. And Job gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and for some reason doesn't say anything. But he repents in dust and ashes. And and he's struggling here. This is what Job did. You get the impression that Habakkuk had read Job. He said, you've got to do something about this. First off, in the first part of verse 2, he gives him a cold shoulder. God comes across as if he's indifferent, and Habakkuk is fed up. He's complaining. Why are they getting away with it? Why is this corruption unchecked, God? And God is silent. Who was silent in that day? Idols. That you'd make out of stone or out of wood. They couldn't talk. They couldn't see. They couldn't... um, respond in any way physically. They had no hands, no arms, even though they put them on Dagon, and and God chopped them off to kind of make a point out of that. And other situations with all of these, they were not able to do anything. They were just like God is acting here, like an idol. Is God an idol? Is he in control? Is he desire to fix things? Our cry is for the nation to be fixed. Why isn't our cry for me to be fixed? Why isn't it more like Daniel? 
I got the wrong one. Isaiah, when he says that, when he sees the throne of God, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He starts with himself. Then he says, I live amongst a people of unclean lips. That's not the world. That's God's people. So you go into whole areas of language, attitude, what I do with my finances, how I treat each other, whether or not I'm sacrificial, as God has been with me, how I dress. What am I saying to people? Why do I put on the clothes I put on? Why am I so worried? One of my children brought up the other day, uh, the first time they saw one of, they call these things sunspots? All over my body. California did it. But, but they pointed out the first time they saw one and went, oh, to themselves, dad is getting old. I was only like 40 at the time. We are so limited in everything we do, but God is not silent. God is not indifferent. God has not forgotten our prayers. God has not stopped caring. God is at work in our lives, and he convicts us on a regular basis, doesn't he? Part of that's our conscience. Part of that is our upbringing, the traditions we are raised in of what we allow and don't allow. But the most important one is the Holy Spirit convicting us based on God's truth. Well, if you don't read your Bibles, how do you ever get God's truth? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. When's the last time you read Habakkuk? Don't answer that. Nahum, Jonah. Oh, those are, those are Old Testament prophets. Oh, really? That's interesting. Some of them are very specific to the time, but Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Daniel, uh, Obadiah, Joel, Zechariah, Zephaniah, they're, half of what they preached or, or prophesied about or more has not yet been fulfilled. And we tend to neglect what's in there because it's too boring. It's too long. We're lazy. We don't want to work our way through that. You're on a memorization campaign, right? You're hiding God's word in your heart. You're, you're taking it in. And you aren't satisfied with just a, a verse a month. Maybe a verse a week. Maybe your desire is to memorize the book of Habakkuk. When Bev and I were dating, and I've shared with this before, shared this with you, um, I don't know how it ever came up, but we had three dates in a row, and um, this guy, for some reason, said, well, let's, let's pick a book we, we haven't looked into much. And it's short. I knew what that part would be. She may kick me out after three weeks of dating. And I said, let's read a chapter each week. I had Mondays off. She was free. We'd get together for lunch and, and kind of go to the park and do some things. And so I said, we'll pick a chapter, read it. Let's come talk about it. I wanted something spiritual to be based around our relationship and memorize one, your favorite verse out of there. What was funny is there weren't very many favorites. So we memorized the same verses each chapter. But I never forgot that. Then I started understanding what those verses actually were trying to say. See, the, the book may have applied to Judah around 600 B.C., but the message is about God. It's about who he is. He's in his temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit in the vines, though the stalls are kept clean, I don't have them all memorized anymore. I've got to go back and rework on that. Yet I will trust. I will exult in the Lord. I will trust in the God of my salvation. See, what are we hanging on to today? We're looking at our word and we'll say, oh no, the wrong people got voted in. I'm going to lose. And where do we go to? Finances. My privileges. Maybe be forced to have some unrighteous things brought on me. But it's all about me. The question should be when we go to an election is what does God want? And Habakkuk learned that lesson. Because God said, I'm not voting for the conservative. I'm not voting for the believer. I'm voting for the Chaldeans. Go Chaldeans. God had this little sweatshirt made up that he wore on, on there, and it said, go Chaldeans, and a little flag. Is that what he did? Not quite. But when you understand, we'll go into that more in the weeks ahead, how bad they were. I don't know if you could even name a country on earth that would be as bad as they were. And God says, I'm bringing them in to your land, Judah. They're going to spank you. And when I'm done with the spanking stick, 
I will destroy them. But right now I'm going to use them. Wait a minute. He was in here. He goes, I've been praying, praying, praying. You've done nothing. And now all of a sudden you're going to go crazy. And use these wicked people and try to teach them a lesson. You're not only giving me the cold shoulder, you are cold hearted. I cry out to you. And the word I say to you, he may have said it many, many times. Violence. He repeats that word. At least, at least four times in this little letter. He's trying to describe here this malicious conduct, intending to injure. This is what you're kind of seeing on the streets of some of our large cities today. But they were coming into the nation of Judah as an army, and you had no police force. You almost have no courts anymore, following any laws anymore. But you had nothing to stop them. They were going to come in and do whatever they wanted to whomever they wanted and take over and take everything you had, and you could not do a thing about it. The only thing that might save you, and this is an important point for us to pick on today, is the just shall live by, it says faith, but it's really the idea of faithfulness. We'll get to that in chapter 2. What did God do with the men who were just? the men who were faithful in the scriptures. What happened to Abraham? God took care of him. What happened to Isaac? What happened to Jacob? Were they perfect men? No, but God took care of them. Whatever happened to David when he got driven out for years, pursued to his death, and he would not harm the Lord's anointed. He felt guilty that he cut off a little part of his robe just to let him know, I could have hurt you and I didn't. God protected him. Daniel, we love to share that story about the lion's den. Jonah, as he runs away in disobedience, God puts him in this great fish and says, you're going back. Express style. Comes out looking like he'd been peroxide. Probably bleach white, stunk to high heavens. He throws him up on the beach. Let's try this again, Jonah. If you read the book of Jonah, you realize chapter 1, chapter 3. Okay, do over. This time, though, you look different, you smell different. Maybe that had a little bit to do with why they respected him. Is that Jonah? What happened to Jonah? He disobeyed God. And God dealt with him and brought him back. But you have case after case after case. Go read your Old Testament. What does God do with the righteous? He takes care of them. What did he do with his own son? He let him die. I'm not giving you promises that you're not going to die. But he has lifted him up. He has given him a name that's above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Obey him, he will take care of us. In life or in death, whichever one he provides. This is what Habakkuk is having to wrestle with. But he thinks initially that God is giving him a cold shoulder. He's being indifferent. You will not hear. And he's giving him this insensitivity. He's cold hearted. You will not save. You will not do what's needed here. We need deliverance. We need liberation from sin. And again, he cries out to God and says, what is wrong with you? You ever done that? What's God answer back? Oh, no, oh, no. They're not happy with me. This is how our world works today. You get a politician that thinks he might not be reelected, and he'll change like a chameleon. And just as fast. What do I need to do? They're, they're constantly... Figuring out what's the dominating thing in the wind today. What do we want? Oh, you, you, you want um, transgender? You got it. No problem. You want churches suppressed? In comments I heard in California that they're only going after worship centers? You got it. It's all about me. All about my power, my re-election, the, the fact that you let me have this, this control. I want to be around all those people that are in power. And what is God ultimately going to do with them, Chaldeans? Destroy them. But in the meantime, what are they there for? To prepare the bride for the return of Christ. To force us to make some decisions that we wouldn't make if we were given the freedom. Remember what he told Israel when they went in the land? Deuteronomy 8. Watch out. Watch out. I'm sending you in. You're going to conquer these peoples, all these parasites that we call them then. And said, so, but watch out. When you go in, you're going to occupy houses that you didn't build. You're going to take over uh, fruit uh, orchards that you didn't plant. You're going to take over vineyards that are just 
ripe and for the taking. And on and on he went. And watch out, don't forget me. How's America doing today? We don't need God. How's the church in America doing today? Divorce rate, inside and outside the church, about the same. What does that tell you? We're not using God's solutions. We're not going to God when God says, I hate divorce. When people come to me and they say, we, we just can't do it anymore. Perfect. Now we're going to let God do it. But divorce, nope, out of the question. In fact, I'll guarantee if you choose that route, you will suffer 10 times more than you will suffer if you stay together. But you don't know her. You don't know him. It's not about her or him. It's about God. It's about doing the right thing in God's eyes. That's what brings his blessing. That's what he can work through. That's when people start coming to you and asking you to give a reason for the hope that's within you because your marriage didn't break up. How did you guys do that? And you get an opportunity to share about Jesus Christ. Marriage isn't 50-50. It's 100% or nothing. So put the gun away. <laughs> Don't buy the arsenic. They will trace it. You, you know, you watch those shows, they always catch them. Cool it. Oh, we have other methods. I fix. Are you giving her ideas? Oh, it tastes good. That's why they'll lap it up. So we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on what God wants for me. I'm not answering for my wife when I get there. And neither can I use her as an excuse. And I could try to joke about that. I got to be careful. But as I say before God someday, he goes, you could have done a lot worse. And there's many days when I say, God, you couldn't have done any better. Because she's perfect? No. He picked her for me. He brought us together. When, when we talk about the whole idea of one flesh, it literally means that idea. You come together as one flesh. It's one blood. It's a relation that's developed, and it stays that way. Now, again, now I know I'm bringing guilt on a lot of you because... So many are divorced today. I don't care what you've done in your past. The question is, what are you doing right now? I'm not justifying your past, but you can't undo that. I had a couple come in, I've shared with you before. One of them had been married eight or nine times, and the other one I think was six. And they came in, and they were thinking about getting a divorce from each other. I mean, I had to restrain myself from laughing. <laughs> and I'm going, I got better things to do today. But I, I got up, and I locked my door, and I sat back down, and I, I kind of sat there for a second, and they go, what you do that for? Because that's what you need to do. Picture that that door is the door of divorce. Lock it. Bolt it. I don't care what you have to do to it. Get out a nail gun and shoot them in there and just make it permanent. You are, you're going to tell each other, we're not getting a divorce. We may kill each other, but we're not getting a divorce. <laughs> we're going to do this God's way. And when they left, they wanted to pay me. I don't take money for counseling. I don't take money for anything. Then I feel guilty because I haven't given them perfection. But when they left, they sent me a letter. They said, that's the best advice anybody's ever given to us. And they sent me $100 with no return address. I don't know where they went. They literally got in an RV out in the parking lot and drove away. They had just sold their house. I'd love to hear back from them. Maybe they, maybe they could respond Send me another letter. No money, please. Just, just a letter to let me know what's going on. But you've got to do things God's way, not how you feel at the moment. It's, it's not when you wake up in the morning, it's not a, well, do I feel like going to church today? I don't care what you feel like. Don't tell me you're doing that. Because between 10 and 10.30, I'll drive over to your house and pick you up. <laughs> oh, but I can watch you on TV. That doesn't count. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. If you're watching on TV, you have a reason for having to do that. Children, sickness, whatever it may be. Maybe you're out of town. We need to make God the priority and the focus of what we're doing. I really got off on that one, didn't I? <laughs> but he felt this way about God, and he was wrong. The prophet of God was wrong. And he takes a couple chapters to figure that out. 
Chapter 3 is basically Habakkuk saying, I was wrong. And so if we're truly believers, and we are walking faithfully with God, we should be shocked at the compromise we see around us. Don't follow people around you. Follow Jesus Christ. We should be shocked at the ignorance we see around us. I am. I can't believe when people tell me they've been in the church for decades and they don't know basic truths. Why not? It's not the pastor's responsibility. You should be reading your Bible. How could you miss this? You should be getting into it and they should have to call you up at work and say, you're late. Because you got so wrapped up in what God was talking about and what you saw in the scriptures, you go, oh yeah, yeah, I got to set an alarm next time so I don't do that. It's the other way around. Oh, I got to get into the Bible today because the preacher told me to. How long is enough? Five minutes? I'm not going to knock five minutes. How about 50 minutes? How about five hours? One of the guys that had an impact on me at Bible college, he was a machinist, very, very strong man. Kids used to love to come up to him and grab his hand and see if they could take him. He's 81 when he was teaching me. I saw a lot of guys go down on their knees because he wouldn't let go until they got on their knees. And they realized, okay, 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 okay. You're going to break my hand. You, you started it. But that guy became a believer. And when he became a believer up in Canada as a machinist, he would come home, grab an apple, grab his Bible, and go find a place to sit down and read. And said the next thing he realized was it was 2 o'clock in the morning. He had to be at work first thing in the morning. And, and work as a machinist all day. And when he got done, at the end of the day, guess what he did? Grabbed a little snack, go found a place, and he said, I couldn't get enough of the Bible. Why don't we have that kind of appetite? What happened? What's, what's competing with that? And usually, I, when I challenge that physically, Especially when children don't want to eat, I ask them, well, what did they eat today? What, what kind of snack did you give them? You must have given them something an hour before dinner. What, what's the church snacking on that they're not hungry about God? The world. And the what? Okay, they're devices now. Now you're really going to get me in trouble and start picking on computers. I don't know much about computers and programs, but the, um, I picked up a book here recently. I'm starting to read it because I've got to catch up. I've got to figure out what's going on. And they said, as they've done surveys with children, the little bit that I read this week, they found that 50% of them, when they asked them their favorite, what do you call them? Programs. No, not apps. The, the stuff you get on the computer and interact with the computer. Games. Their favorite games. I guess that'd be the, they have other words for that. But their favorite games, when they listed them, they realized that children that were like 13 and under, their favorites were all mature audience or worse. You think that's having an influence on children? Who's, who's overseeing them? I'm not saying it isn't enjoyable because of the challenge or whatever it may be. But they said it isn't the 13-year-olds we're worried about. They said it's the 30-year-olds and higher that are dominated by this industry. And they're drinking in. They're giving hours and hours and hours and money to the world to entertain them, and what are they giving God? And they can't figure out why things aren't working. Habakkuk was just the opposite. He goes, God, I've given you my life. I'm a prophet of yours. I'm a faithful man. Read the letter. How many are going to, don't, don't promise me, but encourage you to read the letter this week. I don't want you to make promises that you end up breaking, and then you're in trouble. Read it. Every day, three little chapters. He loved God, and he's struggling here because he goes, God, you must not love Judah. I love Judah. Judah doesn't love me. And they've drifted, and I've given them decades. I've given them prophets. I've called them back. Come back. Come back. Get away from those things that are corroding you and destroying you. And they won't come. And so he gives them a list here. This is what Habakkuk is realizing what's happening to him in verse 3. Why dost thou make me see iniquity? And cause me to look on wickedness. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Same word he used up in verse 2. 
Strife exists and contention arises. And he's trying to zero in on these things. This is where he's wondering. It's in Judah. This is what he's describing. Why make me see? Why are you making me a first-hand witness? Why are you showing me these things as a prophet? I don't want to see them. The first one he lists there is you make me see iniquity. This is moral worthlessness. Maybe where a lot of the computer games fit in. Absence of all that has true worth or value. Kind of a funny word, but that's where it goes. Then he says, thou dost make me see wickedness. This carries more the idea of misfortune inflicted on others. Cruel mischief. This is what the Chaldeans were going to come in and they were going to give Israel what they had been doing already. They weren't treating each other right. Perverted all over the place. And he says, yes, destruction. And he tries to zero in on this violent devastation. Spiritual ruin is what he was having to see. And violence are before me. That word we talked about up front, or the first one. This ruthless physical harm, malicious injury of others. This is what Judah was. How's the church doing? Why did churches split? Same reason marriage is split. God isn't first in their life. We need to confront, but we need to do it after we look in the mirror and figure out where we're at first. We need to do it after we have spent time in prayer, maybe for hours, for weeks, for months, but we need to figure out when is appropriate. How long do I wait? And then I need to go deal with that. If you ever look back on your life and ask the last time you confronted somebody, what do they do? They pull out their wallet. They, they give you 20 bucks. They thank you. They thank you. They, they praise you. Man, that's the best thing you ever did for me. Is that what they do? No. What do they want to do to you? They want to slap you. And if they handle it wrong, the first thing they're going to do is go find somebody to tell. Do you know what so-and-so did to me? Unless they're walking with God, and then they take it really seriously that someone took the time and the prayerful energy to confront me because they saw something in my life that was detrimental. This is what I keep telling people about homosexuality, about transgender, about whatever the perversions that are out there when you move away from Adam and Eve. They think, oh, you, if you, you, you love them, you're going to let them do what they want. No, you don't. You don't do that with your own children. If you love them, go let them play on the freeway. That's what those sins are doing to people. I've been around some. I had a friend who died as a consequence of AIDS. Worked with him for a long time, trying to help him. It's sad. He was married. He had a little boy. You watch the situation of what it does to people. Monogamy, you talk to a homosexual today, and they talk about monogamy, and they laugh. It doesn't satisfy. You need partner after partner after partner. I'm not saying there aren't any exceptions. But the normality is that they keep trying to find somebody because it doesn't satisfy. God didn't design humans to be that kind, in that kind of a relationship. So why is the world telling them? Why are many churches today telling them? It's okay. Come on into our fellowship. We accept everybody. Because they don't love them. They're worried about themselves feeling good. They're not worried about God feeling good. Because God's made it really clear what his word teaches. You want to help them, tell them the truth. You want to help the friend we have, you come alongside. We tried, we had him over, we, we visited, we interacted. We finally went to his house and confronted him because he wouldn't listen. Professed to be a believer. Wouldn't let us in. And his wife let us in. And he looked at us. I knew him since grade school. He goes, I know what I'm doing. I know what the Bible says about it. I'm going to do it anyway. And he looked at me with this kind of a cold stare like, what are you going to do? I said, well, you leave me no choice. The Bible in Matthew 18 tells me I need to tell it to the church. I don't want to do that. I don't care what you do with it. We left. I, I went to the church. I wouldn't tell them what the sin was because I was afraid of what they're going to do. I said, well, if we have a really major sin in the church and they're practicing it and they don't deny it and, and, and 
we, we have to bring that to level three of Matthew 18, one-on-one, one or two witnesses, now tell it to the church. How do we go about that? That's exactly what I thought I was going to hear. They kind of all stood there, or sat there at a leadership meeting looking at each other, and they go, we don't know. Okay, well, I'm not passing on this person's sin when you don't even know what you're going to do with it. They said, well, we need to work on this and talk about it. Next month, we'll get together, and we'll come up with an answer, and then you can go from there. So next month, we show up, and the guy, um, the guy that hadn't been at the previous meeting shows up, and he goes, why are you guys all talking in generalities? Why are you acting like you don't know? This is so-and-so, and he's done such and such. And I literally remember that day looking around the room and seeing people's mouths drop open and suck air. <gasps> and their first thing was, we can't have that in the church. It wasn't about him. It wasn't trying to figure out how to help him. We got to get this out. Well, and then somebody else says, well, he's already quit. He already pulled his membership. Oh, good. Then we don't have any responsibility. And I said, what Bible? I, I had to be respectful. I was a young whippersnapper. 25, 27 years old, somewhere in there. But I prepared my resignation. They didn't love him. They weren't there when he died. They didn't follow up. When people go into that whole transgender world, they're screaming out, I need someone to love me. My parents didn't teach it to me. And the Christians have the best opportunity of doing that. But they're unclean. They're unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 5. Read your Bibles. I'm not going to disassociate with the world. If I did that, I'd have to die and leave. But any so-called brother, if he be immoral, and he goes into that long list there, drunkard, we excuse drunkards today too, that one's okay. We excuse gossips. There's a list there, you can go read it for yourselves. And there's many other lists, Romans 1, 1 Timothy 1, you can go to a variety of places where God lays out really clearly, but he's doing it because he cares about us. He's doing it because he says, this is what works. This will not satisfy you. Follow me. And so here's Habakkuk trying to clarify. He goes into the second half of verse 3. He says, strife exists, this verbal disputes and quarrels. This can involve lawsuits. Like 1 Corinthians 6 brought up. They were suing each other. It occurs, it results, it takes place in Judah. Contention arises. Verbal debate, strife, disputes here, bringing out the idea of just discord in general. They were not getting along. And arises carries a picture of lifting themselves up. They were inciting debates. They were trying to get people on their side and stirring up problems in the nation of Judah. So a warning comes out of all of this. Verse 4, Therefore, the law is ignored, and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. He says, Therefore, based on what they were doing... The law is ignored based on what they were doing, and they're doing it in many churches in America today. You realize that we are a small minority that actually teaches the Bible? I've expected, and I've told you over the years, kept thinking, we're going to lose this. Somebody's going to find out something we're teaching or find out somebody that we confronted because of sin in their life, and they're going to come in and they're going to sue us and they're going to take away everything. What difference does that make? It just makes a difference as to where we meet. We don't meet here anymore. We don't own it. We, we told them when we built this, this is not a sanctuary. That is a term you don't want to use that way. This is not hallowed ground. This is simply where the church meets. The called out assembly is the church, not the building. And if somebody wants to take it away, if God wants to burn it down, whatever may happen, in the early days we were repeating that over and over and over again. We told people, don't get hung up on the building. Don't get upset because of what somebody does in here. <gasps> they change the colors. <laughs> the carpet is desperately in need of help. We're not asking a committee to decide what color. That's not what the church is about. We, we don't get hung up on all of that. Many churches do. I've been around some. Biggest fights we ever had was on stuff like that. I told you I took that picture of Jesus, which was not a picture of Jesus, down from the front of the auditorium, like it'd be right here where the flag was, and you would have thought that I had shot somebody's mother. 
It's not what the church is about. Where are you at today? First question, saved or not saved? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Has he delivered you from sin? Is that a fact? Then you're saved. God declares you righteous in Christ, if that's really what you did. Happens on the inside, baptism, water baptism is a public testimony of that. So you're telling everybody what's happened on the inside, but the only way for us to really know it is to watch your life. It ought to show. Drastically, in some cases, turnarounds like the Apostle Paul and many others. But if you're not saved, you have a decision to make. God has given you the freedom, like he gave Judah, to choose for yourself, yes or no. But if you decide, well, I'm going to do a you know, or I'm going to do a ness, if I try to blend those two. I'm going to ride the fence. I'm going to tell people I'm saved, but I'm really not. I'm going to come in, and I've been in churches where people were in leadership, and they were not saved. The way you can tell that is I, you hold the Bible up to them when some decision has to be made. And he says, well, here what, here's what God says. And they, one person in particular years ago reached back over and closed my Bible, and they said, I don't want to know what God says. I want to know what you say. And they were a leader in the church. And I said, well, if you don't want to know what God says, I have nothing to say. And it wasn't long before I was asked to leave. That was the best thing that ever happened in my life. I learned so much. This is what God's going to do with this whole message of Habakkuk. He's going to move you into areas where you can really grow and be all that he wants you to be and not sitting in a complacent environment where even there at that time, some things were going on that I was not comfortable with. But when I tried to confront things, there were some people getting madder and madder at me until they could finally get rid of me. But he says the law is ignored. The Torah, literally, is the word here. God's instructions to Judah and in turn to mankind is ignored. It means they grow numb. It's kind of like you're, you're getting ready for surgery and they gave you the anesthesia. And all of a sudden, you don't feel anything. You don't hear anything. You don't know anything. Unless you're Jim and they didn't give you enough. <laughs> it grows numb. That's literally what it means here. It cools down. It gets cold. And so the meaning behind that is it's ineffective. You are paralyzed. Because the law is being ignored. And if the law is ignored, which we see in America generally, but it's, being ha it's happening in the church. The called out assembly. And he says here that justice is never upheld. You look at the court system today and you see it everywhere. That's happening in the church. They've lost sight of the guidance that God gave us through his word. And so now it's arbitrary. Transgender is no big deal. We have a lot of people that want to do that. What's the problem? As they cover their eyes. The problem is God says no. The reason God says no is because it's detrimental to you. And I don't even want to start. I need to end. But if you want to figure out what's going on and they're hiding it from you, you go into the homosexual community, the lesbian community, the transgender community, and you find out what's really happening to them physically, let alone spiritually. They are destroying themselves. Nobody wants to talk about it. A book I got from Bev, my mother-in-law, AIDS, what the government isn't telling you, was fascinating. It's not that I had to believe everything in there, but she was an emergency room physician in San Francisco. She shared stuff in that book that made me want to throw up. And she presented it like it's normal. This is what they're doing, and the book's got to be 40 years old now. What do you think they're doing today? They're telling you that they're using aborted babies. I'll finish on high note here. And they think because they're aborted... You know, you'll notice one thing on the news when you hear it. They'll never say dead babies. They say aborted babies. Because some of those babies, once they've been aborted, are free game to do whatever they want with them. Even though some of them never died. And they're experimenting on them. Does that make you feel good? God is looking at this, and here's Habakkuk. He's realizing what's really going on in Judah. And he's saying, God, you've, you've got to fix this. You've got to do something about this. 
He had insight into what was going on as a, both a prophet and as a leader in the country. And what did God say to him? I will. When I'm ready. What's God waiting for? Why is he giving us time in America? Why hasn't this country already taken over by the Chaldeans or some other country that would love to take over America? It's because God is not ready yet. He's giving America time. He's giving us time to share the gospel. He's giving us time to grow up in Christ. What are we doing with that time? I cannot believe these little devices here. I'm almost ready, even though I may be fading out. I'm almost ready to have a box in the back. When you come in here, you turn it off and you stick it in the box. And if that doesn't work, we'll have a car or a truck in the parking lot. We'll make sure you don't even get in the door with the thing. Because you'll all be sitting here, and you'll forget to turn it off. And as soon as it starts making noise, what will happen? Half of you will get out of your chairs and go try to figure out. You are desperate. Somebody's calling me. Call them back later. No, no, you don't understand. They're calling me. The world could be coming to an end right now. Am I meddling? I'm going out with guns blaring. Turn it off. Do I need to meddle more? Well, it may be an important business decision. Maybe it's stocks that I'm supposed to buy, and I've got to do it right now. It's not open on Sunday. <laughs> but you have all those things, they call it those pre-buys or whatever, and, and they have the stock market, and then they have the other thing. I don't even know what it's called anymore. What is it? O options. And, and you can buy in any time now. I wonder why they did that. Sucking us in, sucking us in. Is your dependence on the stock market? Is it on your phone? Or is it on God? You have to examine your life. I'm not God, and I can't determine what you do and what you don't do with your time. But we'll answer to God for it. The result will be rewards or the lack thereof. Let's see. 80 years on earth. Eternity with, with God in heaven, which one's more important? Why am I here to come to Christ and then to grow in Christ and to serve Christ? And when he's done with us, guess what? Beam me up, Scotty, I'm out of here. I know, I'm meddling all over the place. But he points out here that God's sentence, his decision, his righteous verdict, referred to here as justice, is never upheld in Judah. It never goes forth. It's never carried out. Nobody cares anymore. And he points out here, for the wicked, those that are guilty, surround the righteous, those who are innocent. They're encircling them. They're entrapping them. And justice comes out perverted. It comes out crooked and twisted, bent out of shape. This is the concern that God has as we look at our world. I'm not here to enjoy life. I'm not here, which is why I'm still here in Lapine, to enjoy the freezer. God has a sense of humor forever bringing me here to this forsaken, desolate, frozen landscape. <laughs> and I love the outdoors. I love backpacking. Tried it once, froze to death. Went camping, froze to death. Camping different places, even in the summer, froze to death. Got a trailer for a year and a half. My feet hung over, the bed was too small. My feet froze to death. God has a sense of humor. I didn't come here because it was my favorite place. I may be weird, but I would have gone to Arizona. I wouldn't have frozen to death. He has a purpose. Oh, I'm losing everybody now. But he has a purpose for us. And the purpose is to walk with him, to know him, to love him. Put him first. Read your Bibles. Jack is not going to be here a lot longer. My cancer is catching up with me. My treatments are catching up with me. I don't want to make threats, but I want it to be reality. I'm going away. And why I've been here for 10 years already is only because of God. Why are you here? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for loving us in spite of how we treat you. Sometimes we, we try to rebuke you, and we're wrong. 
Habakkuk, Job, others found that out. Other times we try to ignore you and we're wrong. So many today think they can just have a little bit of Jesus and go do whatever they want the rest of the time. Father, may we be committed to you 100%, sold out in every way possible, especially in these last days, especially as we see where America's going. May it not be just shock and gossip that drive us. May it be prayer and the gospel and laying down our lives, even for our enemies. Use us for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.